0: hope you enjoy this message from South City C3, a location of C3 Church, Christchurch. We are starting off with a new series called Brave, and it is out of the book of 1 Peter. So I encourage you uh, to start reading this epistle, this letter, um, as we, uh, for the next four weeks, well, not including next week because Fiona is going to come from Tear Fund, um, but we are excited um, to see this, to unpack this, to explore this letter. We find ourselves at a crossroads of our society where with the pandemic and the coming to a, a new shift in its new identity as a nation, with the cost of living skyrocketing and, and with, with overall sense of people feeling dread and fear, I could feel like it is, it is very fitting for us to, to have a, a sermon series series kind of scenting around being brave, to go. how we go through struggle, how we go through hardship, tribulation. This series is very aptly called Brave, and I, I think it's something that we not only connect with with the first century church, but we today need to be brave in the midst of all the stuff that we're going through. Let's get stuck in. Everyone turn to your Bibles, and I'm going to uh, talk a wee bit about... Um, the, the first chapter of, of Peter, 1 Peter, it's in the, almost near the back of your Bible. We see in f- chapter 1, verse 1, we see that Peter is, is immediately saying his name, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Some would say that there's a problem with Peter being the author of this letter because his Greek is too good. Remember, he was just quote, just a fisherman that when Jesus first found him. But some scholars would say that he had a lot of help in the Greek department. But here, Peter is an apostle of Jesus Christ. And then there's, a, there's a, a picture of Peter, a rendition of him. We don't have the actual Kodak. Um, and then we also have a map that surrounds the area. So he talks about these elect, these exiles of the dispersion. And these, these kind of uh, areas, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, these are the areas that surround Rome. I don't know if you guys can find Italy. looks like a boot. There's Rome in the top left-hand corner. But throughout this area that was so much the Roman Empire, we find ourselves initially, I want to talk about the context. The, now there's the original setting of where First Peter is being written and written to. But I want to look at a text this morning, if you permit me, very quickly. I know we're um, running out on time. But First Peter chapter 1, verse 3, if you guys have your Bibles. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is what? It's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Verse 6. In this you rejoice, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. What a powerful way to start a letter. Amen? The apostle Peter, I would then surmise in verse 1, well, he wrote the letter. Take a look at this good-looking lad. He was once a fisherman, but now a, was a, he was a disciple, a witness of the sufferings of Christ. He probably wrote the letter from Rome, so he's right in the mix and in the midst of everything. This, quote, Babylon Almost certainly refers to this Rome during this time. And we'll talk a bit about this guy in a second, is the Emperor Nero. The letter is addressed to all these Christians gathered, but definitely scattered throughout the Roman Empire. Peter is not writing to fix, like Paul does in a lot of his writings, he's not trying to fix a theological heresy. Paul writing in 1 Corinthians, dealing with issues of incest or appropriate worship. But here, Peter is writing to strengthen the men and the women that have their lives in constant jeopardy. But Pastor John, how? Why is their lives in constant jeopardy? Let's take a look. The recipients of this letter, some would say were Jews, but majority… Were Gentile believers. These are people that had grew up generationally with emperor worship. Because back then, the emperor was incarnate, he was God in flesh. Made a lot more easier for them to make the sidestep to see that Jesus was incarnate, Emmanuel, God with us. But many of these Gentile Christians had an idolatrous background. They believed in the mythological gods and goddesses of the Roman Empire. Rome was on fire. Nero. This is, there's a picture of Nero and the fire here. He goes, Nero was the emperor. The big fire of 64, July 19, actually. Rome burned for three days and three nights, but that wasn't it. They thought it was all out, but then it flared up again and it burned. It was up to like the ninth day when it finally got extinguished. The entire city lay waste to ash and the whole surrounding areas. I'm reminded of the the fires that ripped through northern and southern California where people, residents would just watch all of what they owned Turn into ash. Walking through the, the streets and seeing cars melted down. So the hot, the blazing heat had melted the aluminum rims of their car to pools. Rome was burning. And Nero just in his madness playing his harp. Singing and almost in revelry just enjoying the city burning to a crisp. He was mad. Nero was so desperate, so vivaciously wanting to redesign Rome. And the only way to hit control, all delete on that city was, let's set it on fire. And here, all the people, all the shrines, all the temples, all the farms, all the buildings, the center of the known government, all laid to Ash. The people rise up, those who survived the fire. They're angry. They're going, they want want blood. They want someone to, to answer to the fire. The people's resentment was bitter and fierce. They were looking for blood, rightfully so. Who was to blame? Immediately, they're like, it's Nero. They started chanting for Nero, 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 Nero. Nero saw an opportunity. He needed to distance himself away from this. And there was a plotting. How do we scapegoat this? Who could we blame? Some scholars have said that while well, the Christians already were kind of slanderous. They had broken free from the, the, the known religion, Ju- Judaism, and this Jesus had been crucified by Pontius Pilate. And, it, oh, you know, there's already a marginalized kind of uh, schism group, this niche group that's, gonna, that's just causing huge, you know, thorns in the side to the Romans and to the Jews. Let's, let's target the Christians. Some of the Jewish people that lived in the royal palace had had Nero's ear, and he said, you know who you need to blame, Nero? Who's that, actually? The Christians. It's all their fault. And Nero decreed that it was the Christians that had caused the fire that burned the entire city ablaze to cinder, to ash. This, Christian, this Christianity, this, this new-formed religion, would be the blame, the scapegoat for Nero's madness. Did you ever know that? Nero could use the Christians because they were already under the microscope anyways. In Latin, it is igneus multito. It is the huge multitude of Christians that were challenged, arrested, and destroyed tortured for this apparent lighting of the fire of the city. Christians were rolled in pitch or like tar, rolled and then set afire, sewn wild animal skins and hides attached onto the Christians only to then be sent into the wild and dogs to be chasing after them and ripped apart. Christians, we have this, uh, I don't know if you know the... the the uh, firework Roman candles. That's where this comes from. Is that there's a picture here of the Christians on the right-hand corner being bound and tied alive and set on fire to be burned through the night as a constant reminder that it was their fault and their Jesus and their religion that caused the fire of 64 Persecution continued, not just in Rome. But that's why Peter writes to uh, to Asia, Cappadocia, Galatia, because persecution has spread out to all these regions. But if you were Christians, you set the fire that destroyed Rome. The crazy thing is that the Emperor Nero died four years later after the fire. And even then after, it wasn't like someone said, well, actually, let's set the record straight. For years after, there was an anti-Christian sentiment because they always, some people always felt it was you Christians that destroyed everything in the fire. Imagine having that rap, that rep on you, and it was never true We see in the text this morning the word inheritance, verse 4, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. But let me tell you if you had a house, a farm, a business, anything of an inheritance in Rome, what happened to your inheritance? It's gone. There's nothing to leave you, your, your kids, your grandkids, it's all gone. So these, these three words I want to leave with you this morning, imperishable. See, the thing is, for the Christians, all they've seen, all that they know is things perishing. If you were living in Ukraine right now, all you see, the once beautiful streets of your city, are now dust. Not even like, oh, I remember there was a a cafe there and whatever. Now it's just rubble. It has perished. This word picture that the Greek explains is as if you have not been unravaged by an army. See, in reality, the city of Rome has been destroyed. But what Peter is saying is your faith your salvation, even though you, you're amongst rubble, and I would speak this to the people of and the church of Ukraine everything is dust, but your salvation hasn't perished. Amen? It is as strong and it's unravaged by anything, nothing can touch it. The second thing we see is it's undefiled. It's not being polluted, idolatry and idols, and, and all the, all that was, all that has been. Not touched to your salvation, your salvation is as pure as the driven snow. Nothing can touch it. No toxin can pollute it. And the third thing is, it's unfading. Christians are lifted, even though their world is an absolute shambles and and perished in fire. Christians are then lifted into a world where there is no change or decay. They encounter, they can, the presence and the promises that they can count, they can encounter peace and joy today, even in the midst of everything being destroyed. That's an inheritance that I can pass on to my kids. That's an inheritance that you walk into today as a Christian. It's not going to be attacked. It's not going to be uh, defiled or unfaded. I love this. This salvation is waiting for where? In Ukraine? No. Is it waiting here in Christ Church? No. It's waiting for them in heaven. Their soul peace and comfort as they experience all this great turmoil and hardship kept in heaven for you, who by God's Power. Isn't that great? God's power is what? Guarding it. Your salvation is guarded by a guard dog. His name is Jesus, and nothing no power, no emperor, no government, no nothing can take it away from you. And for those first century Christians that Peter is writing to, that's how they feel. They have been targeted they have been blamed for something that they never did and it feels like everything is being stripped away even their own lives but as they are on those stakes and about to be lit on fire for their faith this these words ring true nothing can be taken away from you and god's salvation for you is guarded in heaven. These followers of Jesus that hear the letter that was written to them can go through all the kinds of persecution and hardship because they know what to look forward to. In verse 8, it says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. Their eyes are fixed on the prize." no matter what is going on in their lives or around them they know that the outcome of their faith is the salvation of their souls sometimes athletes they get um, they get they get hurt they trip if they're in a in a, in a, say a triathlon they get they trip or they fall off their bike and they hurt themselves in the immediacy to finish off the race they bandage or someone bandages their wounds and they say, look, you can play on this injury. This is a classic American football thing. Just put me in, coach. Just bandage it up and give me some, some adrenaline. And they can, yes, they can. They can play for that one game. But that's not 100%. After the game, the doctors come in. They say, um, okay, so you can't live with this like this for the rest of your life. We're going to have to, what, re-break the bone. Reset the bone so that you can heal 100%. And that's how these, these new Christians are feeling. For such a short period of time, this is going to hurt. But to look forward to 100% is to know that their salvation is guarded in heaven. These Gentile Christians endure all the persecution and the hardship because they also know that this is a test from God. God. Gold is tested in the fire. Gold is heated to extreme temperatures and pulled out, uh, pulled out and the impurities are, are taken off. And they're, it's done over and over again to get what at the end? Pure gold. I was singing this song in the, in the car this morning. It's uh, by Canadian artist Brian Dirksen. Maybe you've, you've uh, sung this. This is probably around the same time, 1995. Refiner's fire. Purify my heart. Let it be as what? Gold and precious silver. Purify my heart. Let it be as gold. What? Pure gold. Refiner's fire. My heart's one desire is to what? To be holy. Set apart for you, Lord, I choose to be holy. Set apart for you, my master, ready to do your will. It's as if Brian Dirksen had pulled this entire song lyric out of 1 Peter. Purify my heart. Refine me, even if it is through this Crazy trial, tribulation, and hardship. Refine the fire. My heart's one desire. And there's a choice. There's a choice for the Christian. I choose to be holy. Set apart for you, my master. See, we constantly go through these tests that God has for us to better refine our faith in our Savior, Jesus Christ. God never tests us past our own limits. Look at 1 Corinthians 10, verse 12 and 13. Therefore, let anyone thinks that he can stand, take heed lest it fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will what? He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. I'll leave you this last image. He says that you'll go through various types of trials. Various is this Greek word here, poikilos. Poikilos, and it's amazing because it has everything to do with the image behind it. This is a reference to 1 Peter 4.10. It says, as each has received a gift Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. This very grace is a measured, a custom-made, a many-colored match grace for every test and hardship you endure. There is no generic grace for you. There is no just simple patch for you. It is unique, just like that stained glass, piece by piece, custom made for you, por kilos. And Peter is saying to the, the first century Christians is that your various trials, no matter where you live, are your trials. And you cannot just apply some Christian grace to cover it all. Sometimes when I ask Christians when I'm doing counseling, going, where is the grace of the Lord Jesus in your life today? They have to have a we think about it. What do you mean? Don't we all experience grace? Yes. You know, it's undeserved merit and favor. But you experience a a custom-made grace for the situation that you are in. So for the, the Ukrainian that's sitting there and looking out their window and seeing dust where a street used to be, or for the first century Christian that has been blamed for the, the fire of, Rome, like of 64 in Rome, their situations are different, and their grace is different. Your grace is different than His grace. But it is the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, nonetheless. For these Christians, they only serve one master, Jesus Christ. Not Rome, not the emperor, or any other Roman gods or goddesses. Matthew 6.24 says this, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. In this gospel verse, it pertains to the love of money versus our faith. But for these Christians that Peter is trying to write to, It was more about the centrality of their worship and their allegiance. So I leave you this morning at 12.05. Whew, that was quick. These four questions. What is your inheritance this morning? Is it something that is tangible that you can pass on to your children? And maybe it is. Maybe there's a house or some land But what if it caught on fire today? What if it was... What if it perished? What if it faded? What if it decayed? What is truly your inheritance this morning? How hot is your forge? The condition of your heart is in the refiner's fire this morning. Amen? I believe the furnace is white-hot, and God is wanting to place you in that forge, in that crucible, because why? I remember this one thing that I think it was uh, Billy Graham said this. He said, you know, God loves you just as you are, warts and all, but guess what? He loves you more that He's not going to leave you that way. So you come to Jesus needing the grace and the forgiveness of sin, But God also sees you going, great, I'm going to put you in the crucible. I'm going to put you in this fire. You're like, oh, I I don't like this. That's okay. And I will scrape off daily, weekly, monthly, yearly, the impurities. And at the end, when you stand before him, when you stand before the Lord, actually, you kneel with every tongue and every knee will bow. When you say that Jesus Christ is Lord, he'll say to you, well done, in the midst of being accused of a fire that you never, you never even lit, for a war that's happened and you just ended up being a part of, to things that you've experienced, great tragedy that you still don't understand, medical stuff, emotional stuff, relational stuff that just happened and you've just been part of it. This is your refiner's fire. And so therefore we are thankful for the custom grace that God has given us. Lastly, I, I who is your master? Is Jesus Christ your master? We're we're in it for time this morning, but we no have no more song. But I want to just ask everyone to stand and I want to pray a blessing over you as you leave. In the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit, as we go out into our mission fields as teachers, as pastors, as musicians, as bricklayers, as working in the medical field, we all are in some kind of refiner's fire. Purify our hearts. Set our hearts ablaze for you, Jesus. And if there are people here this morning that have experienced hardship and tribulation that you never invited, you were never even a part of, maybe you have been uh, challenged or even uh, told that you've done something that you never did, there is grace, a better, there is a custom-fit grace for you, just for you. And I pray a blessing over you as you go, that God, his spirit would strengthen you from the inside out so that you could be 100% pure gold. Not only that you can look in the mirror and see that, but for the people around you, your funnel, but also your unsaved loved ones, they can see the refiner's fire burning in your life. And if you're struggling with who is my master, who do I say that is in charge of all of it, if that's you this morning, I encourage you to ask for forgiveness from the the Lord and commit and become a follower of Jesus this morning. Now's the time for salvation. Now's the time to embrace that custom-filled, custom-made grace. We pray your blessing over this congregation in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. To learn more about our church, visit c3chch.org.